The epistle reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Brothers, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as people who are led by the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, because you were not yet ready. Why, even now you are still not ready, because you are still people who are following the flesh. Indeed, insofar as jealousy, strife, and factions have a place among you, are you not people who are following the flesh? Are you not behaving in a merely human way? When one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? They are ministers through whom you believed, and each served as the Lord gave him his role. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but it is God who causes the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters are united, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For God is the one whom we serve as co-workers, and you are God's field, God's building. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thank you for indulging me with all the sermons that I've been preaching on 1 Corinthians. This will be the last sermon on 1 Corinthians, at least for now, since the readings will move on to other things next week with the Transfiguration. Today, I'll preach on 1 Corinthians one more time, though. I really like the two Corinthian letters I find them to be very instructive, applicable for our times. We have struggled and continue to struggle over what the Christian church should be. We've been living in a time where churches, generally speaking, have gotten smaller rather than larger. How do we fix that? How do we attain success? Very often, both back in Paul's time and in our times, one of the ways that people want to answer the, that question is you need to have the right leader, you need, to write, need to have the right pastor. How can we hope to be successful? We need to have the right leader. And then these leaders might end up with a following around themselves. So in Corinth, they had split up into different parties. There was the Paul party and the Peter party and the Apollos party and probably some other parties too. And if there are parties, it's only natural also to have party spirits. Party spirit is when people gather themselves together, think that their party is the best, and that everybody else is subpar or perhaps even downright evil. To have an attitude like that is definitely of the flesh. As Paul says in our reading today, he says, insofar as jealousy, strife, and factions have a place among you, are you not people who are following the flesh? Are you not behaving in a merely human way? This does seem to be the human way. 
gather together enough people to get a coalition, say nice things about yourselves, and attack the other side. We're handsome, regal, majestic, lovable. They are terrible, horrible, no good, very bad. The goal is to win, 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 and defeat the other party. And then we can feel good about being the winners, and we can also feel good about them losing, because they are losers and are probably even evil. It is possible for us Christians to do this kind of thing with our Christianity, too. We can create a party spirit that is not of the Holy Spirit, but of the flesh. And this party spirit might manifest itself in the way that we live. We can pride ourselves on our clean living, perhaps, be disgusted by the way that somebody else lives. How can they live like that? It might manifest itself in a kind of pride where we are the ones who are right. Thank God we've always been right and everybody else has been wrong. And because we are right and they are wrong, we'll go to heaven. Then they'll go to hell. Whenever anyone focuses on how good he or she is and how bad somebody else is, you can be sure that you are dealing with something that is purely natural, merely human, something that comes from the flesh. But you might be wondering, don't we live better than unbelievers If we don't live correctly, we could end up under church discipline. And furthermore, don't we know what is right? Aren't others terribly mistaken with false beliefs? And I have to admit that these objections are valid. Christians do and must live differently than unbelievers, and Christians must hold to what is true. Otherwise, they are not really Christians. But these things should be done and held to in such a way where there is not a party spirit. It should not be an us-versus-them kind of thing. What it should be instead is that we urge all people to repent under the mighty hand of God, ourselves included. We are not separated from others, but we also are under the mighty hand of God. This is the unusual way that Paul takes with these Corinthians. Party spirit is so natural to us that it can seem unavoidable. It's just inevitable. Whenever anybody says something or wants to make a change, it can seem like there's just one more party being formed What Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians can seem like just one more faction. Oh, yep, that's just what Paul thinks. But Paul doesn't want the hearers of his letter to think, oh yeah, that's just Paul doing his shtick. He wants all people everywhere to become obedient to God's gospel. 
He doesn't want to gather anybody to himself. He wants people to repent, to fear God, and to believe in Jesus. And Paul doesn't care whether that happens through his speaking, or through Apollos' speaking, or through Peter's speaking, or through any man's, woman's, or child's speaking. Whoever is doing the speaking is just the instrument through whom God is doing his work. What matters is God doing his work. These are the lines along which Paul is speaking when he says, What then is Apollos and what is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each served as the Lord gave him his role. I planted Apollos' water, but God was causing the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but it is God who causes the growth. Note how Paul is praising God and not himself. One telltale sign of a party spirit is when goodness and righteousness can only come from those who are on the right team, from those who are on one's own team and from one's own party. But Paul is different. God is the one who has caused the growth, not his genius, not his work. Let's apply this to a difficult issue in our own times and something that has been divisive in our own church body. Party spirit might manifest itself by people saying that only those with their very special kind of worship are any good. And if anybody does worship differently from them, then that church is in deep trouble. They're probably going to die. That has been such a commonly expressed thought in the church during my lifetime. It's unbelievable, really, if you think about it. One group of Christians telling another group of Christians, you're going to die? Unless you become like us, you're going to die? They're too old-fashioned. That doesn't work anymore. Or perhaps from the other side, it might be said that if certain modern instruments end up getting used, well, then that's no church at all. And that, too, is an amazing thing to say to someone. You're not the church. The issue of worship is one of those hot-button issues that has caused deep rifts in our church body, and much of it has been carried on with a party spirit. My side is the best, and the other side is horrible, terrible, no good, and very bad. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that it doesn't matter how Christians worship. I don't believe that there should be a free-for-all and just let the floodgates be open to anything and everything. What a lazy, thoughtless position. What I am saying is that there is something deeper and more important And perhaps someone might just say, oh, yep, now let's hear what Michael Holman has to say. But I'd like it if people wouldn't think that way. I think I'm speaking the truth. What I believe to be deeper, more fundamental, 
is the fear of God, the abhorring of one's own sins, and believing in Jesus. Wherever there is this attitude, which I say is from the preaching of the Holy Spirit instead of any party spirit, you're going to have people with whom you can profitably discuss things, serious Christians, who care about the damnation or salvation of their fellow man and not just making a name for themselves. This also is not just my own opinion, but it is also the confession of our Lutheran Church. The Augsburg Confession, one of our fundamental documents, says, It is enough for the true unity of the Church to agree concerning the teaching of the Gospel and the administration of the sacraments. It is not necessary that human traditions, rites, or ceremonies that have been instituted by human beings be alike everywhere. That is very similar to what Paul has been saying in these first three chapters of 1 Corinthians. Paul has been saying, we preach Christ and him crucified. I was determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Well, what is this gospel that we are all to agree about? Isn't it the message of Christ and him crucified? The good news That Christ has died for all sinners? And what are the sacraments if they are not the preaching and the application of Christ crucified for you? That is what looms large behind the sacraments. Christ crucified for you. Baptism, for example, is being united with Christ in his death so that we may be united with him in his resurrection. And the Lord's Supper... As Paul goes on to say later in this same letter, the Lord's Supper is the proclamation of Christ's death until he comes again. Wherever you have the preaching of Christ and him crucified, and wherever you have people who are given the gift of faith in Christ crucified by the Holy Spirit, that Christ has died for you, wherever you have that, there you have Christians. You don't need Apollos. You don't need Paul. You don't need any particular human being or any particular human party. What you do need is this revelation from God, this message from God. What we need is the fear, love, and trust in God that is worked by the gospel of Christ and Him crucified. That is not just one more party spirit. That fear, love, and trust in God is worked by the one Holy Spirit, who is true God. Wherever you have that, you have Christians. And on the other hand, wherever you don't have that, you don't have Christians. It doesn't matter what that group might look like. They might be exploding in growth, huge, popular. They might be wise and eloquent Whatever they might be, the indispensable thing is the preaching of Christ and him crucified. So we should be thankful that we have enjoyed the preaching of Christ and him crucified for each one of us. That each one of us has 
received the preaching of Christ the crucified and continues to receive Christ the crucified is not from any merit or worthiness in us, nor is the fact that we have received Christ the crucified due to any graces or merits of any human being or any human party or even any human church body. Anytime we hear the preaching of the gospel and the administration of the sacraments, you can know with 100% certainty that that has come from God. That is God's gift to you, for you to believe in. But this has, at the same time, come through instruments that God has used, and there's no sense in denying that. God didn't speak to you directly from heaven. He used believing Christians. But this came from God and was worked by God and was made effective by God. As Paul says, I planted, Apollos, another minister in Corinth, watered, but God caused the growth. And so it has been, and so it is with each one of us. Each one of us was baptized by some other Christian. Each one of us has received from received instruction from other Christians. And sometimes that instruction, guidance, and correction has been through formal and public channels and institutions like pastors, teachers, or professors, but sometimes that has been less formal, but nonetheless certainly important. Sometimes it's through family members. Sometimes it's fellow congregation members. Sometimes it's through friends. In whatever way our faith has been planted, watered, perhaps replanted, and so on, this is from God, working through his means to create and sustain our faith. And this has not been done through one party or one person unless you want to identify that person as Christ. Christ has been faithful in taking care of us, his sheep, and he will continue to be faithful. The instruments through whom Christ speaks his scriptural word inevitably change. Quite possibly the person who baptized you is long dead. But Christ is faithful. He brings his word to you so that you may be his disciple, so that you may know the truth, and that truth will set you free. Therefore, we must not attach our love and our trust to any human being or to the party or group in which we find ourselves. We couldn't and shouldn't do that even if the Apostle Paul were to show up here among us and stand here he wouldn't want us to attach ourselves to him. To be faithful to Paul would be to be faithful to his preaching and teaching. And in his preaching and teaching, he is always pointing beyond himself to Christ and him crucified. Jesus alone is the Lord. He is the Lord of his church. He is your Lord and your Savior. It is the pleasure of us Christians to declare the praises of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's just what we Christians do. Not to praise ourselves, but to praise Christ 
and him crucified for us. The peace of God that transcends all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.